<laughs> Thank you. Uh, by way of uh, announcements, we're not uh, going to reconvene tonight as being uh, Resurrection Sunday. Usually the thing is because you, you got all your family in and, you know, you don't want to send them home and have to go back to church, but so that ain't going to happen just, just the way we've done it in the past, so we'll continue to do that. Welcome. It is Resurrection Sunday. We'll pray. God, I pray your blessing on this word. Uh, nothing has stood out to me more the starkness of the situation. Uh, we've been on we're on a road we've never been down before yeah, in the history of the company, a country. We've never we've never not assembled for worship on uh it's usually referred to as Easter Sunday. So we're in uncharted uh, territory. Father, I pray you'd restore the years that the locusts have eaten, that you'll roll back this plague, that you would bring back normalcy and blessing, and that uh people everywhere would repent. I mean, Lord, we needed healing long before coronavirus showed up. And you definitely have our attention. So I pray you'd take this opportunity to have us once and for all be done with sin, to repent in, in real ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're talking about repentance and stuff. You're saying, what's that all about? It's Holy Week. It's, uh, it's why Jesus resurrected, because he died. Because why did he die? Well, he died to pay the penalty for our sins. So I think resurrection is always, I mean, um, repentance is always a timely message, but now more than ever. Uh, it doesn't feel like much like Resurrection Sunday to me. I'm speaking to a room full of empty chairs, and because of the coronavirus, we cannot gather together and celebrate, at least uh, physically, that is. Uh, we lost our power the other night uh, because of the snowstorm as we lay in the dark battling hypothermia with 103 uh, blankets and quilts on the bed. I was wondering what else could possibly go wrong. Uh, and we woke up uh, Saturday morning, we dressed, but uh, we didn't take a shower because uh, there was no power, there was no hot water, and a cold shower would have killed either one of us, I'm sure. So we went to Dunkin' Donuts for coffee. Coffee, I'm told, is a 30 to 32 billion dollar industry in the U.S., and that's just in my house. And then we went to Mickey D's for the food part of our breakfast. And we were sitting by the lake eating because <laughs> no sense going home. It was warmer in the truck by far. And Suze was saying how she was happy that we lived in a town that had a Dunkin' Donuts and a, and a McDonald's. And I, I started turning a corner in my thinking. Well, I wasn't worried. I'm not much for worrying. Never saw much sense in it. I'm the one who says that a man should uh, always be ready to preach, pray, or die. And as long as I've been saved, I haven't been afraid of dying. But besides that, we say that God is on the throne. And if that is so, and it is, then fear doesn't really enter into it. If God is all-powerful, and he is, and if he's good, and he is, and if he loves us, and he does, and if Matthew ten twenty nine and 30 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them shall fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered, and it does say that, 
And worry is not only futile, but an affront to the one we say we worship. Second Timothy 1.7, a verse that's probably resonating with Christians throughout the whole world right now. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The one thing we can be certain of is that if we're afraid, God didn't put that spirit on us. Fear aside, things can still look bleak if we look at them, if we focus on them. We're in the midst of the first global pandemic of our lives. The stock market is off about a billion points. My 401k is now a 201k. Unemployment is off the charts. There are no sports or movies to distract us. We can't go to birthday parties, weddings, funerals, or the Christmas tree shop. And I've been washing my hands so much, I've uncovered a stamp from the Shriners Circus for 1985. And if the Red Sox ever do start playing the baseball season, they have no starting pitching. So why should we not fear, in a word, resurrection? Every spring is a resurrection of sorts. The winter is not very verdant except for the evergreens. It's very stark and gray. And then spring comes, and in no time, vacation land is in bloom. Construction is underway. Tourists are back, and the whole state smells like new asphalt and sunscreen. Resurrection is around us much more than we might imagine. Have you ever gone through a bad season in marriage when you felt like throwing in the towel? Have you ever been sick and thought you might die? Have you ever felt lonely, abandoned, poor, misunderstood, taken for granted or unappreciated? Have you ever been unemployed, homeless, or hungry? This is life for a few, but for the most of us, they're just seasons that we are passing through, and then there's a new beginning, a fresh start, square one just around the corner. The Bible says that um, in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's talk about resurrection, and you'll know the passage, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, like we do for communion, where I just ask you to bow and just listen to the words. I'm going to say them, speak them carefully, concisely, and try to enunciate them very clearly. And I want them to just go into your ears, right down into your heart, and reflect on what's being said on this well-known passage. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, if... Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. 
How can some of you say then that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. And stars differ uh, from star, uh, glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How is it that uh, our labor is not in vain in the Lord? Resurrection. So that bad season in marriage when you felt like throwing in the towel, God can and in some lives has already resurrected it. The sickness that you thought you might die, you didn't die because if God can resurrect the dead, he can certainly resurrect the sick. And you may have felt lonely and you may have felt abandoned, but he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you're poor, misunderstood, taken for granted, or unappreciated, unemployed, homeless, or hungry, resurrection trumps all that. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Matthew 16. We were preaching this, we were working through this the other night, last Wednesday night. Matthew 16. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Listen again. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A big ask, for sure, if there is no resurrection. Well, a big ask anyway, and there is resurrection. But I mean, think about what Jesus is saying. The only life that you have, the only one you're ever going to live, give it to me. Pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Death to self. Live life according to the way I think you ought to live it. What makes that sensible to even contemplate doing that? Resurrection. He goes on to say, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it, says the one who was resurrected. He understands you can lose your life for my sake. You can try to hang on to it. You can hold on to it, just desperately cling on to it. You'll lose it for sure. If you lose it for my sake, you'll find it. How can that be? It can't, other than resurrection. For whosoever will lose his life, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He would know. 
What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What will you do if you're not part of the first resurrection? Are you going to buy back your salvation? What if you have the whole universe to do it? It's not enough. Jesus says, all that is isn't worth one soul. And we have to figure that out. And the reason it's so is because of resurrection. Now, resurrection, I'm going to end here saying that was a brief message. I know, I was trying to keep it brief. Think, think this all the way through. Resurrection gives meaning to everything. I know people are like, well, I want to be a good, what? Fill in the blank. I want to be a good mom. Why? A few years, your kids will move out. You'll die. Two generations, three generations from now, nobody will even remember who you are. What does it matter if you're a good mom or not? The resurrection makes it matter. We're going to be resurrected for a long time. If you're thinking about only this life, then we live it incorrectly all the time. Um, and you can fill in the blank with everything. Well, I want to be a good spouse. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good employee. I want to be a faithful friend. Why? In a few generations, nobody's even going to... Hey, do you know who your great-grandparents are? I got another question. Do you know who your great-great-grandparents are or were or where they came from or anything about them? Do you know if your great-great-grandfather was a good husband, a good provider, a good... Maybe you do. Probably you never met him. Probably you don't even know his name. Like, I don't know who my great-grandfather was on either side of my family. Don't know if they were good people. Don't know if they were lazy or shiftless or hard workers. In a few generations, it won't matter. What makes it matter? Resurrection. Everyone's going to be resurrected. Some for life eternal. Some. I don't even want to talk about it. It's Resurrection Sunday, right? But some to eternal damnation. Everyone has a, a date with a new body, a resurrected body. And the only question is, the address, where are you going to live that? I say, this is a somber message, Adam. You're not, uh, this isn't a feel-good kind of... Those of us who have been saved, those of us who have taken advantage of this great salvation that Jesus Christ has given us, it's a, it's a very wonderful message. It puts everything else in perspective. And then we can move on to celebrate this great gift. Not only has he given us eternal life, it's eternal. It's going to last forever. And how is that possible? It's possible through the resurrection. So, you know, wherever the day finds you, think these things through. I think these are things that you have to chew up on a soul level. Look through 1 Corinthians 15. Take it apart like verse at a time, even fragment of a sentence at a time, and, and, and work it through and pray it in and, and live it out, and you'll find that it's, it's way different. You know, I think this country's headed for a resurrection. Well, we are. What it's going to look like? I don't know. That depends on a lot of things. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and I will hear from heaven. I will hear their prayer. I will heal their land. We know how to humble ourselves. We know how to turn from sin. We know how to pray. We know how to seek his face. And if there's ever time to do it, now's that time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these few moments in your word, and we pray that it will make all the difference. I can go on for a long time talking, but Lord, your word is your word, and I pray you'd bless it, that you might, that we might grow thereby and 
and just it, that would be our food for the day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.